Hi, Hi everyone. everyone. I'm John. And I'm Georgia. And we're here inside your ears to talk about the mac and cheese of movies. This, this is, is Comfort, Comfort Films. Films. Welcome to Comfort Films Episode 2, Mad Max Fury Road. Before we get started with the show, we wanted to take a quick minute to thank all the folks who have shown support for our first episode. We've had a lot of great people liking our socials, commenting, and starting great discussions. We really appreciate it. It makes us that much more excited to keep going and talk movies with everybody. If you haven't had a chance yet, please find us on Facebook and Instagram under Comfort Films Podcast and give us a like, a follow, or if you feel inspired, maybe a comment too. We love getting your feedback and learning more about what all of you are interested in hearing about from us. Yes, and you can also follow us on Twitter if you want to. I believe I might have started a Twitter account called Comfort Films Podcast. <laughs> um, and maybe in a couple years uh, or the next time Facebook and Instagram go down, we might engage on there as well. But we really just don't tweet that much, do we? <laughs> That's for the kids. It is. It is. I tried it once or twice. Major, <laughs> major failure. Well, all right. Let's talk about Mad Max Fury Road. Now, quick reminder to everybody, if you haven't seen the film, we recommend that you do so before you listen to the episode, because we are definitely going to spoiler the heck out of it. Okay. With that being said, Georgia, whenever you're ready, lay your synopsis of the film on us. Happy to. We open on Max Rakitansky, played by Tom Hardy, looking over a dry, post-apocalyptic wasteland. Max is haunted by his past and the people he's been unable to save. As he drives on after a brief, fresh lizard snack, Max is attacked and kidnapped by the War Boys. His car is commandeered, and he is pressed into service as a blood bag, forced to donate his O-positive universal donor blood, to support the dying war boys who all appear to have some sort of nuclear waste-induced cancer. They're referred to as having a half-life. The people in this world are slaves to limited resources. They worship guzzoline, and access to water is restricted and tightly controlled by the Citadel's leader and Morton Joe, Hugh Keith Byrne, who played Toe Cutter in the first Mad Max movie. Joe sends his Imperator, Furiosa, Charlie's Theron, out in the war rig with a group of defenders to trade water for fuel and ammunition with the other nearby communities, Gastown and the Bullet Farm. Once Furiosa judges herself a safe distance from the Citadel, she goes off the path and we learn that she is not intending to go on her mission at all. Instead, she has kidnapped Immortan Joe's prize breeders, young women who he keeps as a stable of child bearers for him. In this world, deformities and birth defects are ubiquitous, and Joe has selected only the healthiest young women to have his children, and the hopes that his legacy can live on. Needless to say, Joe is infuriated at both the betrayal by Furiosa and the loss of his wives. He sends out a huge convoy of war boys to get Furiosa and the breeders back. One of the war boys who's desperate to join the fray, despite his late-stage terminal illness, is Nux, played by Nicholas Holt. He argues that he can die in glory on the Fury Road as long as he can bring his blood bag, Max, of course, with him. He hangs the muzzled Max to the front of his car and they ride on, later joined by additional teams of pursuers from the Bullet Farm and Gastown. During a huge electrical sandstorm, Nux and Max are separated from the group and stranded. Max manages to escape and ends up joining up with Furiosa on the war rig. Though initially suspicious of him, Furiosa realizes she needs him to help her fulfill her actual mission. 
She's made an agreement with the Rock Riders for safe passage in exchange for a pot of gasoline, but they renege on the deal once they realize how many pursuers are following the war rig. And once again, Max, Furiosa, and the wives are on the run. They continue across the wasted land, running from the enemies, and Max learns that the purpose of their escape, apart from getting the wives free of their enslavement as breeding stock, is for Furiosa to return to the green place. She tells Max she's seeking redemption. Her years of doing Immortan Joe's dirty work and enabling his dictatorship of the Citadel are weighing heavily on her. After another race across a poison swamp, at which point Nux has changed loyalties and begun working with Furiosa, Max, and the wives, the crew runs upon a woman alone in the desert. Furiosa recognizes her as one of the Vuvalini, or many mothers. They find out that very few of the women are left, and that the poison swamp they have just traversed is all that is left of the green place. Although they're disheartened, the group realizes that at least they have finally escaped Morton Joe, and they plan to abandon the vehicles and ride motorcycles across the salt desert for 160 days to reach the other side. Furiosa tells Max that one of the bikes is his, if he wants to join them, but he says he'll go it alone. As Max stands on a high hill watching the women depart, he has a vision. He chases down the women and presents his alternate plan. Instead of risking a dangerous trip across the salt desert, they should drive the war rig back across the swamp, through the passage, and back to the citadel. They can blow the tanker in the passage and block their pursuers behind them. Once they're back, they can take over the citadel themselves and remake the green place, sharing the water freely with the people and using it to grow crops. Against all odds, the plan works, almost as intended, although many are lost on the way, including Nux and a number of the Vuvalini. After seeing that Furiosa and the other women are safe, Max walks away, back to the wasteland, alone. Wow, thank you, George. That was good. That was thorough. There's a, there's a lot going on in this movie. Yeah, it's very interesting. I mean, yeah. I really easily could have said it's a chase movie, and the bad guys chase the good guys from, I guess, east to west, and then back from... Well, I guess it's west to east because it's Australia. A horrible direction. And then (laughs) (laughs) left to right on the screen and then back from right to left afterwards is is what it looks like. But, I mean, because it's it's basically that simple, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, there's just a lot of stuff happening and there's a lot of world building. I mean, any post-apocalyptic kind of story seems to have a lot of world building like that. Well, and the stunts, I mean... You, you know, the stunts are like that. It takes center stage. I mean, the story's yeah. really smart. Like, there's a lot going on that's very, very intelligent in this script. Yeah. And I think a lot of folks might just say, oh, it's just like a, a dumb action movie. Yeah. I mean, honestly, even me, okay, I've seen this movie, oy, like uh, seven times at least. Probably, yeah. maybe more. I don't maybe, know. Maybe. I, man, it's hard for me to count. I watched it. I I love this too. Yeah, I love it. I love it. And at first, you know, what drew me to it was this action element. It's just like one of the best action movies there is. It's nonstop. But the more you watch it, the more you realize all of what's going on with it, and the characters are great. Yeah. The setting is great. That movie looks so good. Yeah, it looks like, it looks amazing. It makes me want to like go take a swim. I feel like it's one of those amazing ads like you used to see for Corona, where you had like your feet up and you <laughs> had the beer, and it was just this perfect 
beach scene. Well, everything in it is either, you know, yellow and orange or blue um, and teal or something. It's it's an amazingly colorful movie. Yeah. Um, I love that about it. I mean, I don't know. It's it's one of my favorites, clearly. I mean, that's why we're talking about it today. Um, mm-hmm. And definitely that's why I've picked it. Yeah. <clears throat> Even well. though, you know... I know it's not traditional, you know. Well, hey, you know what? There, there's going to be all kinds of picks coming out. You know, I, I don't want to give up my secrets too soon here, but <laughs> I've got a few that that I think many people will be like, "What?" Yeah, no, I know. I mean, I think that's kind of why we wanted to address this movie um, from our list early on. Yeah. So we can make sure that everybody understands that. I guess by comfort film, we're not necessarily just talking about warm and fuzzy romantic comedies no. or you know something like that um, a lot of times we'll rewatch a movie over and over that has a lot of you know violence in it or something else going on just because something else about it really speaks to us maybe we have a screw loose you know maybe <laughs> well, we maybe it's the same screw we're both missing i, I think don't that know. probably goes without saying <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know we know we're, we're nutty buddies we're um not traditional folks but you know i mean i've never pretended to be so i think that's okay no um and i'm sure this just confirms that but from the first time I saw this, we, we saw this at the movies. Yeah, I remember seeing it at the theater. theater. Yeah. I don't know if we saw it in, like, uh, IMAX or something, but I feel like we did because it, it's so visual. Right. Um, and just remembering, like, seeing some of these huge action scenes on the big screen was so energizing. Um, I just don't feel like you see things like this anymore. And... You could tell that a lot of the stunt work was practical work. It's not a huge CGI-driven film, which not that there's anything wrong with that. I'm sure we're going to have some films that are super CGI-y that we discussed that I love a ton. But what I did love about this was that everything was very visceral, which really matches up kind of with the punk rock, like, metal tone of this movie. Well, it's... I. I have to say that too. When we saw it, and still when I see it, when you see the stunts, when you see the the falls, the crashes, the flips, the fights, you just don't even know how they managed to do it and everyone was okay. Yeah. And I have the same thing as you, by the way. I can't remember if we saw it in 3D or IMAX or something because the one shot that sticks out to me is at, at the very end when, you know, they've taken out the... Uh, Oh, shoot. What's their name? The the War Boys, right? Mm-hmm. When they've taken out the War Boys, you see, you know, the guitarist guitar come at you yes. and the steering wheel. Yeah. And, you know, when it comes right to the front of the screen and that that's like classic 3D. And in my head, I'm like, I feel like we saw that coming at us. Yeah. And that is like the most CGI moment in the film to me is when like that steering wheel comes at you. Yeah. Um, but it does feel like a 3D kind of a moment. And I just remember how exciting this was. And I think I still get the same excitement, to at least to some level, yeah. every time I see this movie. It's um, definite. It's definite thing. Every time I feel like, I don't know, are they going to make it? What's going to happen? I, don't, I feel like I don't know the fate of these characters, even though I know them inside and out at this yeah. point. I know. And so I do mean, you. We've seen it. We know the story. And somehow we're still in suspense. Yeah. Um, the whole time. And... 
I still, you know, get like this gut reaction of like, ah, oh, you know, when something bad happens or somebody falls off of a car or whatever that I haven't noticed before. And it just, you know, gives you that punch in the gut. Yeah. And I do have to say, like, the the real thing that I remember first and foremost about this movie is that when we saw it at the theater, as soon as the screen went black at the end, I turned around to John, who was sitting on my left-hand side, and I remember it 100%, like it was yesterday. And I go, is it weird that I just want to watch that again right now? <laughs> you know, like, part of me was just ready to go back to the box office buy another ticket and do it again because it was like a roller coaster ride it was i remember when i was a kid we went to liberty land in memphis which is a theme park hmm. that i don't even think exists anymore and they had this wooden roller coaster called the zip and pippin okay and i rode on it the first time and it was the most fun i'd ever had in my like young life at that time and I just ran off the exit and immediately got back in line to ride again. And that's exactly how I felt about Mad Max Fury Road. Well, this is, yeah, this is like, to me, this is like, I want to keep going with it. And it's like when you have a series that you really like, you know, when you were waiting for that next installment and you knew you had to wait years. You know, you go across all the different franchises where they leave you on a cliffhanger. This didn't leave you on a cliffhanger, but it, it just, it was so full I've never seen, um, a, a, I'm going to use, I'm going to use the terminology, a chase film, you know, though it's much more than that, like this. I've never seen anything where they don't let up with the action. Yeah. They just keep adding and adding more cars, more people, more explosions. Yeah. And more. you just don't even know how they can do it. No. You, like you when we get to the from. end, when they're like headed back, you're like, wait, we just follow these people across the desert, mm -hmm. through the passage, across this crazy swamp, you know, when they're finally escape and then they're like, Oh, we're gonna we're gonna keep going and it's like, hey, wait, no, let's turn around and do it backwards. <laughs> yeah. It's like almost a joke that <laughs> that's the plot of the movie. But it totally works. It's awesome and it just feels great to watch. I mean, so yeah, I have a screw loose. Well, it's you yeah, have a screw loose. Definitely, <laughs> definitely. But for me, this is like a hundred percent a comfort film because I feel really happy every time I finish watching it because it's like you're watching like this amazing achievement. You're watching some a movie that's just nearly perfect, and that happens so rarely. Like we sit through so many movies that aren't that great. Or something's wrong with it, or whatever, you know. Yeah. Even if I enjoy a movie a ton, there's usually some nitpick that I want to have with it. The same I do with my own work, you know. I just want to nitpick everything. Well, this is like the, what it's like is one of the really great songs. It makes me think of, you know, we go back to like the Beatles. We go back to Jimi Hendrix, right? Where they actually play the music backwards, where, where they get to it. Because I'm pretty sure it's uh, they do that in Strawberry Fields. They play it backwards. Yeah. I'm pretty sure in Access Bold as Love, Jimi Hendrix Experience, what happens is they play the solo backwards, and somehow it's even more brilliant than going forwards. Yeah. And you just you don't have, you just I don't know. There this just is like well, it's a, just it's like a way to envision it in a completely different way than we normally see things. Yeah. Like, 
John Frusciante uh, records music backwards. Really? He, like, records it backwards to begin with. I he, never like, knew that. Yeah, there's a couple songs that he, like, plays backwards. You can kind of hear it because of the way that instead of the guitar having the stronger sound at the beginning of the note, it mm-hmm. has it at the end. It, like, builds up and cuts off sharply. It's okay. really cool. Like, the, on some of the Brown Bunny songs he did that, right? I think right? so, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was on the... It was on that six EPs in six months kind of stuff. There's some stuff there, and I think on Brown Bunny. Okay. John Frusciante is awesome, by the way. Go listen to John Frusciante. He's the guitar. He's one of the guitarists for the Red Hot Chili Peppers, and uh, his solo work is phenomenal. So. Big fans. We're big, yeah, big fans. Huge. Um, yeah. And yeah, I feel like Mad Max Fury Road is like so musical. That it would be weird if we didn't talk about music a little bit while we're talking about it. Well, they have a guitarist <laughs> built in. The fact that they have this guy with these enormous amps, this guitar that just shoots flames. Yeah, it's called the Doof Wagon, by That's the way. That's phenomenal. I was talking about this movie with my friend Sky. Hey, Sky. Thanks for listening. Yes, thank <laughs> you, Sky. And I really was happy to hear that uh, Sky's wife, Men, Actually, also views Mad Max Fury Road as a comfort film. Apparently, she watched it tons and tons of times when she was on maternity leave with her first child. So, we're not the only crazy people. Yay. (laughs) 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 But, yeah, um, I guess they were auctioning off some of the vehicles of this film. And he and I were talking about which ones we would want to purchase, you know? Yes. Um, I really like the tank car that the bullet farmers use. He wanted to get the war rig, which, classic choice can't argue with it and i said you know i could really use uh the tank car in la traffic but <laughs> that i would re- be helpful <laughs> i really would want the doof wagon playing a metal soundtrack behind me as i roll down the road yeah it's a must it's a must <laughs> so they have these four guys with giant drums and this weirdo with a flame shooting guitar hanging on like an elastic bungee <laughs> bouncing up and down and playing metal like, super loud while they're on this chase, which is amazing to me. It's so creative and ridiculous at the same time. And I just love, like, that, the guts that it takes to be like, this is what I want to do, you know? Yeah, no, I fully understand, you know, what, what you're saying with that. Like, the, I don't, the imagination of this, and then also just, like, the sheer power of these machines... Yeah. Like uh, when uh, a Morton Joe, I think he's in the car. It's like the, that juiced up like beetle, right? Yeah, with the, with with the giant wheels with on With the it. big, yeah, it's like, uh, I want to call him Bigfoot. Remember that? Like the monster truck yes. when we were kids? It's, I guess that is what it is. Right? And then you can see like the axle twists and turns. It's just like it's this very, very yeah. fine machine. And it just takes these rocks. Yeah, and it's just overly Boulders. throttled. They're yeah. just like hours over it like awesomely it's oh i love it yeah we're both kind of into cars i guess too yeah like i couldn't fix the car if my like life depended on it but at the same time i love to watch other people do it like we watch car sos we love the show yeah um and i love watching people work on cars i love looking at cool cars same here um, especially like older cars or muscle cars and things like this. So we love to point them out. Whenever we see a car yeah. on the road, we're like, oh, "Look at that Chevy!" So you know? I'm sure, I'm sure that has something to do with why we like this movie so much too, because there's so many cool, crazy like Frankenstein up vehicles. Yeah, it well, it also makes me feel like 
you know, going back to not being able to fix cars, it makes me want to go back in time, you know, when my uh, my uncle, he actually owned a garage, and I would be down there in the, the summers uh, visiting my family in Pennsylvania. And I would go to the garage, and I did help out in the garage a few times, which I dug a lot. But at that age, what I liked even more was sitting in the office, <laughs> reading comic oh books, and drinking sodas out of this old school amazing coca-cola machine i mean ice like a cold. glass bottle or oh no i wish cans? i wish yes it was cans i mean but it's still good i remember i remember my aunt at the house had like these squat pepsi bottles that were glass and they yeah. were oh my god oh yeah that would be good the i kind of wish i had one now because it's really hot in here i wish we had a <laughs> bucket of ice water just to we're suffering ourselves. for our art right now. Yeah, we don't know what we're doing. I mean, honestly, it's thematically appropriate because everyone in this movie is constantly sweating. Yeah. Yeah, it's a very hot film. I guess they filmed it in the desert, Namibian desert. I think that's right. Which looks amazing, mm. but everyone was sweaty beast. So I guess we uh, had to do that to relate to our characters here. <laughs> <laughs> we're very method. We're very method on this podcast. <laughs> totally. Yeah, yeah. So, speaking of characters, yeah, who did you have a favorite? I mean, how hard is that to choose? You know, I asked. Okay, I was gonna say somebody going in. I was initially gonna say, okay, Furiosa, who I still think is amazing. Yeah, she's, she's like kicks so much butt. Yeah, and I'm like, all right, you know, she has this fight with Tom Hardy. I think she could have taken him. I just think it was a script <laughs> thing. I think there's like an alternate cut where she just she you could know, have takes taken him anyone down. in this movie. I think like with one arm. By well, the way. and she's like so busted up at the end, but she's just like she's still hanging going. in there. Yeah, that's yeah, that's a true. She's truth. great. Yeah, the best. But so it's like I love that character. But you know what? What happened to me when we were watching it is I started going, "How about this Nux guy?" Because he has this really nice redemption arc. Totally. You know, it's like he starts out, he's misguided, you know, he's really, you know, not on the right team, doesn't know what's happening. He finds love. Yeah, he's like indoctrinated. Yes. He's this guy that's like dying, like really close to death. Like yes. they were basically telling him, like, you're not going to make it. You can't come out and fight with us. Mm -hmm. He's like, no, I'm going to do it because he's so ready. You know, he's being so convinced to die for the cause. Yeah. And like... You know, even even though he's crazy, you kind of even have to admire that to some extent, that, like, he's so committed. He wants to die on the Fury Road. Yes. He doesn't want to die inside. You know, no. that's the beginning. Let's get he's my awaited. blood bag. Let's get Max the blood bag and let's ride. <laughs> let's he's, ride. He wants to ride to Valhalla. Yeah, I mean, he's great. Yeah. Well, and, it's, and at the end, he does get to ride to Valhalla, yes. but he does it. As a good guy. On his own terms. Correct. And yeah, I mean, he, I think you're right in that he's kind of, he really is kind of the most dynamic, mm -hmm. potentially the only dynamic character in this. I mean, I've got to think about he that. He saves the day. Yeah. He, he starts out um, indoctrinated, only working for the cause, completely committed to that. Over the course of it, he changes sides. He finds love, as you said. Yeah. He changes, he has like a internal change of heart, and he goes out a big hero. Yeah, if, it's, if it wasn't for his sacrifice, would our heroes have made it? Now, our no. heroes are like super 
resourceful as we've seen. And they're awesome. Yeah. But none of them change either, and I do think that is why Nux really stuck out well, to me Max this time changes. too. Max changes. So we start out at the beginning, right? He, the first thing you hear in the movie is, you know, my name is Max. And then it's like he has all this PTSD, all these visions, and then he doesn't, he doesn't even, when, when Furiosa says, what is your name, right? What is your name? And he just doesn't even want to answer. So she's yeah. like, I'll call you fool. And then we, we get to, you know, the end of the movie almost. And then he finally says, you know, I'm Max. So it's like, I don't know, maybe this is like going nuts, but I feel like maybe he found some of his humanity again with this, with this new family that, that yeah. he had. And I would say that, but I have to disagree a tiny bit. Like, I guess he could have had a slight change, Yeah. but in the end he still leaves. He and does. It's like he does. He, he goes back to being alone. He's still a loner. Yeah. So, you know, I'm not saying he wasn't changed by the experience, but it isn't the, like, dynamic change we see in Nux, where he goes from being one thing to being the total opposite. And yeah. when you see a story like that, it, like, really grabs you, I think. Mm -hmm. That being said, Max is actually my favorite character. Okay. So I'm not, you know, trying to sell him down the river right now. He does the cool guy <laughs> thing. He does the cool, you know, he's like that cool guy thing, you know? Well, it's funny because, like, I mean, okay, again, shout out to Furiosa. Yeah. It's, like, almost impossible to watch this movie and have her not be your favorite character because she's unbelievably cool. Yeah. And I give a lot of credit to Charlie Theron on that because mm -hmm. she's in a lot of action movies yeah. and she's super cool. Um, and I think... I mean, I might go so far as to say she's, like, my favorite female action actor because I think she's amazing in quite a few movies that are very action-oriented. Not that that's all she can do. Cause she's great in a lot of other movies, sure, too. Sure, yeah. But in particular, I think of her in this, and I just think she nails it, and mm -hmm. I love it. But the thing that really gets me about Max is that he barely talks in this movie. Mm-hmm. For the first 45 minutes, basically, of the movie, he has a muzzle on his face. Yeah. Um, but when it comes time for him to be, like, changing sides and working with these women, he pretty much immediately becomes, like, a supporting character, um, which in a way is super cool. Like, we haven't gotten to this part yet, um, so I definitely wanted to discuss, but, like, the crazy thing about this movie is that on the surface, it's like a super macho action film with a ton of like explosions and heavy metal music and dudes. Well, we have the again at the very end. He does the cool guy walk away. He does do the. He cool does guy the walk cool away. guy walk away. Like you know, it, and you can tell like it's not like it's you know, like the situation with Nux, but you could tell there, there's some chemistry between yeah. Max and Furiosa. Like there's something happening, but it's like, it's not going to happen now. Maybe another place, another time. Yes. And it's just like, and it, you, you see them each kind of go to where they're supposed to be. Well, and I love that because it makes this movie like feminist really, yeah. because this movie is really about a guy who helps a bunch of women take over power yep. and uh, create like a female centric society where everybody is nurtured and helped to, uh, you know, basically repair the world. Well, that's... Um, and they didn't do something cheesy 
at the end where they end up with, you know, the two main characters pairing off, even though you could tell there was something between them. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, he doesn't, she doesn't need him to be able to rule at, at the end. And he is a loner and he, I guess, doesn't feel like he's had his redemption at this point, it feels like. I don't know. I he's feel still like... maybe still thinking about his wife and child. Like yeah. I don't know how much we're supposed to take from you know the 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 first three films. You know of that. That's he what's had hard. That. That's what's hard. Is cause... that is that girl that he keeps seeing in his visions? Is that his daughter? Is that is that who that is? Or well, because I'm not sure. Else? Like I thought he only had a son. I mean, maybe I. I can't remember if he. Had I a haven't son. gone back. It was just a oh. baby or something, but. Um, it seemed like, I mean, and when I said haunted in the synopsis, I actually mean like quite literally mm-hmm. because he, he keeps seeing a vision of this little girl, um, whether it's his actual biological child or a child that he kind of took on, yeah. um, over the course of whatever crazy stuff he's been dealing with, um, throughout this post-apocalyptic wasteland that he's wandering. I don't know, but he, you know, is really haunted by that kid and, I feel that he is able to make some peace mm-hmm. um, by helping these people take back the Citadel. But at the same time, it seems like he still has more to work out. Um, well, he, he and he doesn't make does. that Furiosa's problem. Yeah. he It's his problem. And, that, and yeah, that's, that's what I got too, is that like, he's moved forward, but he, he's still not recovered from the loss sufficiently yeah, yeah he's not he's not there and um yeah it's he's not necessary to the equation because she's got it and what i like that they do throughout is how there's no ego with with max anywhere in mm-hmm. the film no nope. because he you know there's a scene where they have one shot left and they let furiosa take the shot and the the sniper rifle she rests on max's shoulder and tells him not to move yeah well he there's three bullets left and he takes the first two shots and misses <laughs> it's like terrible and, yeah i mean this is kind of like something that would happen with you and me because i'm a control <laughs> freak so you would be doing something we'd have three shots if you missed the first two i would just be standing behind you like oh my god just let me do and that's what <laughs> that's what Furiosa's doing. She's like standing right behind Max, like ah, just she really wants to take the gun out of his hand and shoot. He he doesn't even look at her. He knows she's there. He just hands it to her and pretty much just becomes the gun rest. Yes, um, because that's the best way for him to fulfill uh, what he's needed for. Yeah, and and that's super cool as a character for a main character. To kind of become a supporting character within the movie like that. And, you know, Tom Hardy handles it pretty great. Mm-hmm. Um, he's really good at playing like this silent kind of action guy. It just works. Um, so Yeah, I always buy it every time. I, I really and I'm enjoy, ready for another one always. Oh, yeah. I really enjoy um, his character. I, I think Max is great in this. And I have watched the other three um, movies. And I don't think I ever really liked Max as much as I liked Max this time. Um, it's a different type of movie. Yeah. So it's hard to even much. compare them. But I really liked the direction that they went with Max here. 
I think it really fit with what Tom Hardy was able to bring to the, the character. And I just thought they did a really cool thing with that. Well, it's also interesting that you've had uh, George Miller involved from the beginning. Yeah. I mean, that's super crazy because this was years yeah. over the course of years, this story. The first one, I believe, was, was 1980. And then uh, the second film, Road Warrior, came shortly thereafter. And Thunderdome, 85, 87, I don't know, somewhere in there. He directed that with someone else. Was it George Kennedy? I think that's correct. Who also might be Maybe. a producer as well? I think so. It, people were involved, like, throughout. Yeah. And there may be, like, comics or novelizations or something as well that kind of give some backstory on this, but I'm not familiar with any of that. Well, it's Yeah, because it was it was difficult in this because we looked at a couple clips from the, from, uh, the first two films yeah. just because we had some questions. We wanted to see a Morton Joe as Toe Cutter. We wanted to, to have that comparison. Yeah. And we also went and we took a look at, I'd say, about the first 10 minutes of Road Warrior. Just to bring it. Which kind of recaps. Yeah. Like it, almost like if you don't have time to watch Mad Max, just watch the first 10 minutes of Road Warrior. It, yeah, it has it. And then you just, you get right into it. Yeah. It's, I, I'd say structure. I love that one, actually. I think Road Warrior is a great movie. Of the other three, yes. Road Warrior is the one for me. And it's, there's, there's a lot of similarities. I mean, when we looked at just even these very brief moments in the first two films, we could see, oh, okay, all right. It's like, I don't know, it's like it's a reboot, but it's not a reboot. It's, yeah. we, we go deeper. It's like its own thing. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's very interesting to me how they've done this. And, you know, I guess I watch a lot of post-apocalyptic films and I read a lot of post-apocalyptic literature because um, it's just, there's a lot out there. People think a lot about this. I and mean, we oh, met well. in a post-apocalyptic world. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> you remember that? I don't know. So, but yeah, very I mean, post-apocalyptic. Give it like 10 or 15 years. We may, we you may be know. there. You never know. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like there's a lot of things that people do with this. And there's a lot of tropes. Mm -hmm. And I feel like they turn a lot of those around in this. Um they, they, you know, they still do a lot of them because you kind of have to, um, you know, how people use resources that are limited and things like this. But I thought it was very creatively done. Um, and I mean, just even the color thing, the usually. colors, that's the colors of this, you know, I just see that blue and I see like that orange and I am on board. I'm on yeah. board from the first second. Cause most post-apocalyptic movies are kind of washed out but if you think about it like when you think about like nuclear waste you think about like bright green mm -hmm. like bubbling whatever plasma or something and i think this kind of feeds into that like everything looks like oversaturated with color it's i love kind it of, i, love I do it. too well you're a big color guy anyway love you love it. it's like it's like an color. amazing sunset yeah it's it's really cool looking movie oh. so what was your favorite scene 
Did you have one? Oh my gosh, that is like nearly impossible because there's just awesome action scene after awesome action scene. I had the same thing. When I watched it, I was like, what is my favorite? I was like, oh, is it this? I wanted to pick one out. I really tried. I thought like, is it this? Is it this? Mm -hmm. If I went back to the first time I saw it, I would have to say that I probably thought that the sandstorm, like this electrical sandstorm tornado thing Mm -hmm. was probably my favorite because... It's just kind of awe-inspiring, I guess, when you first see it. Um, when we go back and watch it again, I think I'm a little, like, jaded. So I'm like, oh, yeah, I saw this. It's cool, but uh, whatever. <laughs> um, but, I mean, it's still super cool. But seeing that part on the big screen really killed. So, mm-hmm. um, But, you know, every time there's an action scene, I'm just kind of bowled over by it. Like, I love when they're running, when they're going back to the Citadel and the dudes in, like, the pole cars show up. Yes, I, I think of that, too. That's amazing. The way they just come down. It it makes you think about, like... Uh, like pole vaulter people, I guess. It makes me think about, like, a pond. Like a like an insect or something that could just, like, like you know... Like, dips down. Yeah, like, just on a, on a piece... On a blade of grass, you know, just kind of bends down. And it's like one of those uh, bird-drinking toys. Oh, yeah. That, like, goes down and drinks water and then comes back up. Yeah. I don't know how to explain those things. I know what you're talking I think but, about Darkman when you talk about okay. that. But that's another story. <laughs> yeah, I just, that part is so cool. And just realizing, you know, that people, human beings, like, did that is awesome. Um, it's, I the first time I saw it, that bird, and, and I'll get out of this quick because we're not talking about the, the film Darkman. But the first time I saw that was in the film dark man and like yeah. that is whenever i see that is the only thing that i think of. <laughs> that's really funny yeah yeah no i i love that part i mean i also just love uh a lot of the parts where people are just talking to each other um and and because there's so much action in this mm-hmm. that when there is like a quiet scene um it's kind of surprising yeah but it's it's really good also so the times when Max and Furiosa are talking, or even just when one of the wives says something quietly in the back seat or something, it's like, it's it kind of draws your attention because it isn't loud, um, and and raucous, and action packed. Yeah. Um. So there's really an interesting kind of reversal going on there. Um. Yeah. So I don't know. I really don't know if I could pick out. This is one of the few movies where picking out one scene to say like this is like the representative scene of this movie Mm -hmm. is next to impossible it might change for me every time i watch it It, for me it what what i have is i don't know if it's a scene so much as the sequence because i really really like just the opening when we get the you know this voiceover from max and he goes as the world fell each of us in our own way was broken. It was hard to know who was more crazy, me or everyone else. And right when they say crazy, that's when, you know, that we go on to our first shot and we see Max standing on the ridge, you know. We yes. see the last of the V8 interceptors, you know, over there. Yes. And he, you know, as you said, he, he gets a, a bite. Of a little two-headed lizard, <laughs> right? And then he gets in the car, and then he takes off, and then that—that's it. That's the movie. That's the—that's the whole thing, you know, in a in a nutshell. So you know, he goes, and we go through this whole sequence, 
and the war boys catch him eventually and he is trying to escape the war boys in their lair and he's running and he's fighting and he's going as hard as he can and he's going down the hallway and he opens the door because he thinks it's the way out and the door opens like onto like a just a cliff face a hundreds of feet above the ground yes he could easily just run right out and fall off and die and just a scary every time it's crazy (laughs) he goes out there and then there's like a crane coming and then he jumps on the crane and then the crane is coming back towards the door and this is the scariest part to me the war boys grab max pull him back into their lair and they put like this this orange latex over his face doesn't look like he can't even breathe the door slams shut then we get the title mad max fury road that to me that's my favorite part. like you know what you're in for at that moment yeah (laughs) you were in for a ride yeah no that part is that's a heck of an opening it's It's, pretty intense yeah to say the very least love it and yeah we're both scared of heights so so bad so bad that part really um kicks both of us in the teeth a little bit i think Mm. um do you have a favorite line uh mediocre mediocre you know because when these folks mediocre. Will... <laughs> yeah right these people will you know be ready to go to valhalla you know yeah they'll they'll spray the shiny the... and chrome yes they'll, they'll spray the silver the chrome over their mouth and their teeth and they're ready to die and go to valhalla and so they'll have this last heroic act and <laughs> You know, a couple of times, the war boys, uh, you know, who do this, will try to go for this last heroic act, and they'll miss the mark. And the remaining war boys, or in one case, Amort and Joe, are just like, mediocre. Yeah, like, sorry, Charlie, no go. Yeah, like, just, it wasn't that good. It's pretty great. Actually, I think they say that, like, all the time. Even the one guy who does awesome... Like, he's almost dead, and then he, like, does the chrome spray, and then he jumps off the back of the truck with, like, a harpoon or something. Yes. And, like, drills it right into this car and explodes everything. It's amazing. And all of the war boys start yelling mediocre So we Like, I don't even know if they know what it means. Maybe it's the inflection of it. Yeah, they're like, mediocre, like, it's great. Yeah. But later on, when Nux is supposed to be doing this big move... And then he just falls off the truck. That's when a Morton Joe just says, mediocre, like it's a piece of junk. He, do, he does say, well, it's like, you know what I think? It's like the word smurf. You yeah. know, it can mean it can mean anything. Well, I mean, speaking of that, this was another funny note that we had. Sorry, this goes a, a little off track of favorite lines, but still. We were just talking about how the one of the funny things about this movie is that, like, do we love it? Yeah. Um, but if we are reading the script of this, like on paper, we probably wouldn't even know what was going on because they like have such their own slang in this movie. McFeasting. McFeasting. That's a wonderful word. I mean, this is a world without McDonald's, but we're still having Mc something. McFeasting. Yeah. And I love that. They said, we'll fang it. That was great. I don't know what that means, but I mean, I was with them on I... the, in the moment. A Morton Joe's uh, water, uh, Agua Cola. Agua Cola. That's what he's Aquacola. named it. Aguacola. Aguacola. Yeah, I think it's Aguacola. Uh, it's it's great. I mean, I I like that because again, it's like what I was saying about world building. Mm-hmm. Like it's so effortless in this. 
Like, they kind of have their own language. What about the TV show one? Oh, man. That's one of my faves. Um, This is at the end. uh, At the end, well, after they go to to the green place or past the green place and they meet the Fuvalini and they're kind of like realizing that their plan has failed. Like they're not in the green place. The green place is gone. Mm. Um, they're all sitting outside quietly looking up at the sky and a satellite goes by like a remnant of the old world. And they're talking about what the satellites used to be. Cause there's these young women there who probably weren't even born you know, when this happened. Yeah. And they're like, they used to, you know, beam messages back and forth around the world from that. And says, um, they say something like, The satellites. And then they're just like, yeah, shows. And then somebody says, everyone in the old world had a show. And it's funny, because that's true now with podcasts. We all do have a show. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it just is kind of innocent. It's like this innocence of thinking back to what things used to be like and just not really knowing what was happening. It seemed it seemed like a, a good memory, like everyone had yeah, a show. Yeah, I don't know, back in the good old days, everyone had a show. Yeah, like, that's, and like, it just, <laughs> you know, talking like <laughs> romantically about a satellite yeah. is kind of like phenomenal. Know, that part's really interesting to me. Um, so they are talking a lot about the old world in there. They talk about the seeds um, that they that she was trying to plant, the older lady, mm-hmm. and and the satellite. And um, I guess that was another thing I would say that really struck me a lot um, about this movie that we haven't touched on yet is that I don't think I really thought of this at the beginning. Um, when I first saw it, because it's just this action movie, right? Mm-hmm. And it's something you said earlier, like, you're just thinking about this as, like, this great action movie. But there's, like, such a huge, like, message in this movie about, like, climate change. Yeah. <laughs> For example. Um, the, you know, we're talking about the green place. The green place is gone. And it's almost, like, allegorical about, like, the world's current dependence on gasoline you know, these people have a near-worshipful attitude toward gasoline and cars. And, you know, nobody in this crew is driving a Prius. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, a Prius isn't going to make it over the passage. Um, That's good. That's really good. But, no, but, you know, this is the whole thing here. They worship gasoline. They don't have fresh water. Like, fresh water's disappeared. And they're told... Not to become dependent on water. Yes. Be by by Immortan Joe, who controls the water as a way yes. of controlling the people of the Citadel. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, we're moving toward this situation in the world where people don't have access to fresh, clean water, which we all need to live. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in this case, and in our case, too, it's controlled by... <laughs> this is what John said, and I loved it. By some crusty old white dude, you know, who's like a corporation fat cat who's like, you know, controlling our access to, to resources that by all rights really should belong to all the people in the world. Um, so I think that it's a really bold message that this movie is coming out with and it kind of sneak attacks you with it because you're like watching it. 
you're enjoying all the cars blowing up and stuff just as much as the next guzzling lover. But then when you really start to think about it, what you come out with is that, you know, we probably need to be smarter about how we're managing the world so that we don't end up in a place like this where, you know, people's livelihoods are limited. Um, they can't have water. They can't live um, happily because they can't have access to their basic needs. Well, and, and you have, you know, a great setup of a Morton Joe because they show you without his armor, he's wheezing, yeah. he doesn't look well at all. It takes a team to get him ready and propped up and he has this breathing machine, which for this world seems very rare. Yes. You know, only the elite seem to have any type of assistance. And, oh, you know... No universal health care <laughs> at the Citadel. No, not not happening. And it's just like they bring this this guy... It's like they, they bring person who, who looks, looks half dead. He looks like a corpse... Yeah. And they just, you know, slap them together, get him in front of the people, get him talking. And his breathing mask, I, I also want to mention, is scary. It's a yeah. scary face because he rules with fear. He wants yeah. everyone, you know, he, he is high in the Citadel. You know, he looks down from his balcony hundreds of feet high. He looks, you know, down on the people and he wants to control with fear and you know resources and that that's exactly what he does yeah yeah that's true i mean that was kind of a new thing that dawned on me this time that i may not have thought about before but honestly i think that's the theme of this movie yeah um is that you know people who take power um, will take advantage and uh you know we have to fight against that even when you know, we don't have a lot of resources. You just have to use all the power at your own disposal to kind of work against that and help each other. Mm -hmm. um, because that's what happens at the end. I mean, that's why this has a happy ending to me, even though, you know, this is a very upsetting movie in a lot of ways. If you watch, you know, if you watch this and you're sensitive, God help you. Because... Well, there's a couple times where they actually say that they have hope. Yes. And, and in this yeah. film, you're very frightened because you never feel that you're in a, a safe place. Well, and Even Max, when we've seen it. Max even warns them that it's not a good idea to have hope. Oof. But, but, but they do, and they can't help it. Yeah. And even Nux, who knows he's going to die, he's got, you know... <laughs> Was it Barry and Larry or somebody? I think, it's, I think that's he's right. He's got lumps on his neck from lymphoma or whatever. He knows he's going to die anytime mm -hmm. um but he's still willing to have hope that the world can be a better place that they can change something for the better and at the end when we get back to the citadel and we see that furiosa and the wives are kind of going to become the leaders yeah and you know we know that their plan is to remake the green place and bring back green in the world that's completely devoid of this you know, we, we understand hope again, and the people have hope, and that's a really awesome ending. It's like a restoration of, of the world, not to what it was, but to something better. And that's what I love about it at the end, I think. 
because you watch all of this great action, you watch all this good stuff, and then at the end, there's this restored kind of order and this hope for something better mm-hmm. than we were able to achieve before. And that's what I think I really like about it. It's a fantastic, fantastic movie. So after we we've gone through all this man we've really we've really dug in here tonight yeah this is a long episode i hope we didn't go crazy but <laughs> i hope we did i mean i can't help it like this is what we told you we warned you guys we were going deep <laughs> when i when we talk about movies we talk about movies um and this really is one of my probably top five of the whole time um so i probably could just talk about this incessantly for hours and not feel any guilt about that whatsoever um, so, yeah, a little bit longer episode, but I hope it was entertaining. So, yeah. What would you liken the film to in terms of food? So this is a weird question. Like, when I think about... Yeah. I mean, when I think about this movie and I think about food, mm-hmm. I don't really want to combine those things. No. Um, but I think what I would uh, compare this to would be something like uh, jalapeno nacho fries. Ooh. Like, it's messy. Uh-huh. It's like hot. It's like spicy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's delicious, but it also is gonna like make your stomach hurt a little bit. <laughs> Man, I don't know. That's where I would go with a nacho fries. Nacho fries is a good one. Mad Max nacho fries. That's the next film. But... I would. I would get those. I would happily get those. <laughs> I think about, um, like, eating, uh, I mean, this doesn't even make sense, eating a sponge. and <laughs> not even food. Did not even food, but here's the thing. It's like, you, you, whatever this food is, you take a bite, and you don't think you had much, but it just keeps expanding, mm. and you realize that you took in so much more <laughs> than you thought. So, and now you're overloaded. Yeah, like, you've, you've got, you know everything yeah that's at 150 percent yeah I, i'd say that makes sense because this is pretty overstuffed i mean maybe it's like a a giant breakfast burrito with Ooh, a whole lot that, of stuff in it you know that i love i love 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 breakfast <laughs> Some burrito. sort that's of perfect. O- overstuffed food <laughs> thank you thank you for being there for me i appreciate oh, that no worries when it comes to food i got a lot of comparisons me too so do you have any final thoughts on this film I don't think so. I mean, I think we went over a lot. We went over so much. Um, just the action is great. Um, the crazy message of, you know, a post-apocalyptic feminist climate change allegory. I mean, this movie's got it all. So I hope you've seen it. If you haven't seen it, I hope you go watch it. Um, yeah, and I just love talking about it. And if you have more questions or want to ask me anything about what I think or ask John anything about what he thinks about it, hit us up on Facebook or Instagram and um, we'll be happy to keep it going um, and maybe address questions in a future episode or something like that. And we love to chat. Yeah. We love to chat. And and again, thank you to everyone who is listening. Uh, we really appreciate it. You're absolutely wonderful. Yes, we love you We so love much. you. A million percent. <laughs> and um, since on the last episode we said final thoughts, I went on for like what felt like another 20 minutes. I'm going to say I like the movie. Yes. That's, that's my a good final, final thought. thought. Yeah, that's, final that's my thought. final thought. 
Great movie. Final Thoughts is a great movie. So uh, Keeping that part short. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So next week, uh, we will return uh, with some special entertainment content. Um, we have a guest for week three. And we're going to be discussing the, how did we call this, romantic comedy fantasy. Yes. Defending Your Life, starring Albert Brooks and Meryl Streep. Really good film. Really great movie. So many similarities with Mad Max Fury Road. <laughs> just kidding. Yes, Zero just the, similarities. Just <laughs> not even close. There are humans in the movie, just hey, like in Mad Max Fury Road. That is true. That yeah. is true. Yep. So, a little bridge from one, fil- one film to the next. Um, but we hope you'll tune in for that one as well. Uh, we hope you enjoyed visiting Mad Max Fury Road with us. And uh, thank you very much for coming and stay comfy. Thanks for coming. Stay comfy. See you next time.